0: Good morning, Center Point Church. How are you feeling? Woo. I am so excited to be in the house of God this morning. Amen? So excited. Uh, like Pastor John said, um, I have the privilege of being the youth director here. That's why I look like this. Um, so really excited to be with you. Um, it's just an absolute honor. I can't, I can't say it enough how honored I am to be able to speak with you this morning. Uh, eight years ago, um, I had this revelation um, that a lot of us have had that I really needed Jesus. Um, And the first place I thought of was this church. And um, I came to Jesus at Centerpoint in this youth group. um, And now I lead the same ministry that I came to Jesus in. Um, And that's that's just a story that God is a God of redemption. God is a God that makes the the tiniest things that you go through, the, the things I would never even imagine, never even ask for, he ends up doing those things without me even knowing about it. And it's better to live life in his plan than try and do it for myself, right? So he's just the God of the redemption. He's amazing, it's such a privilege to be with you. I love the holiday season. Did you guys have a good Christmas? Everyone have a good Christmas, that's awesome. I love the holiday season, I don't really like winter because it feels like California is just not doing what it's supposed to do. Um, you're supposed to be warm, I don't, I don't like this whole rain thing, this cold thing, it's not cool. Uh, but I, I do like the rain for one reason, and that's because when it rains here, it means it's probably snowing up in Big Bear. Um, I don't know if we have any snowboarders or skiers in the house, any snowboarders, skiers, people that love the mountains, I am one of those. I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie, honestly, anything that can kill me, I'm into doing. Um, so uh, skateboarding, surfing, snowboarding, motorcycle riding, anything that puts my life on the line. It's, it's just the way to go. Live by faith, you know what I mean? Just walk out. Um, so, but I, I, I recently started, I got, just got a season pass, and in college I got actually really good at snow, well, really good, I don't want to be cocky, but um, I got pretty good at, at snowboarding. I was going probably at least, once or twice a week, and um, I was going before class, and I was getting really into it. Uh, back in college, I was starting to do bigger jumps, and I was starting to do rails and boxes and all this crazy stuff, and I was hitting probably like 20 to 40 foot jumps snowboarding, right? And and so last year, uh, I hadn't snowboarded for probably the last two years before that, and I decided, man, I haven't been snowboarding in a while. I really want to go, so um, I ended up going snowboarding. I went up to uh, Mountain High, and I was just killing it. Okay, I was so proud of myself. I went up by myself, um, and I was just absolutely destroying the course. I was—I didn't fall all day. I was hitting every box, every rail. I was hitting these jumps. It was just amazing. And there was this one jump. Um, That was probably about a 30 to 40 foot jump. And um, I get down the mountain and I'm nightboarding, so it's getting late and there's only time for one more run. And so I say to myself, you know what, I'm just gonna do one more run. And uh, if you go snowboarding, you know that you never say that. OK, never say that you're going to do one more run because for some reason, something bad always happens on the last run. So uh, I get on this last run. I'm like, I'll be fine. And it's the last run. Right. So I'm trying to go as hard as I can. I'm hitting everything I possibly can see, every rail, every box. And I finally get to this last jump, this 40 foot jump or whatever, and I get to it and I'm really excited. And the adrenaline's pumping. I'm ready to go. And I get to the actual beginning of the jump. And I don't know if you guys know what catching an edge is. Catching an edge when you're snowboarding is basically, when you're snowboarding, you have to keep your toes up or you have to keep your heels up because if you don't keep your toes up and you're going forward, the snow will catch onto the top of the board and you will go flying. I did that, that's one thing. It hurts bad when you go flying, snowboarding, when there's not a jump. It's another thing when you actually do it off of a 40-foot jump. So I get to the base of this, this jump, and I'm about to go, and I go backwards. There's this ice pocket because it's getting kind of icy out there, and it goes over top of my board, and I soar. I'm telling you, it was, I believe I can fly." I was, I was soaring backwards, flying in it, and I felt so out of control, I just couldn't do anything. and I just slammed onto this ice, like, and I, it's one of those moments where all of the breath. And your lungs is just like, oh, like you just lose all the breath in your lungs. And I was thinking about this story preparing for this message. I know it's kind of a crazy story, but, but I was thinking about how crazy it is that it was such a small thing that led me to feel completely out of control. It was such a small miscalculation. It was such a small pocket in the snow. One ice patch that happened to catch my snowboard that ended up leaving me. In a spiraling, out of control, eventually led me to just losing all the air in my lungs. How many of you know that it only takes one word to ruin your day? It only takes one word from an insecure person. One word from a really fearful person, from a bitter person, from maybe somebody that you love, from a family member, from a spouse, from a best friend. It only takes one word and it feels like it could just ruin your entire day. It can ruin your entire week. It can ruin your entire month. Some of us are in the room and we heard a word from a friend when we were 12 years old and we're still believing the lie it gave. Wow. <laughs> it's gonna be good. Yeah. <laughs> it only takes one lie. If the devil can get in and fill you with one lie, man, I'm just not good enough. I just have to do everything perfect. You start living your life based out of a lie, based out of something that God didn't even tell you And then you create a story for your life surrounding a lie, and we wonder why we're unhealthy. Because it only takes one. It only takes one interaction with a person, it feels like. It only takes one experience in life. Sometimes in life, there's just a perfect storm that's created, right? A perfect series of events. How did this happen like this? It, It seems like everything just got together to take me out. When it rains, it pours. What is going on? The good news is this, is that Jesus is not afraid of any storm. Jesus isn't afraid of any storm. In fact, he walks into the storm with us. In fact, he he enjoys being in the storm with us, being close when everything is falling apart, when our life is spiraling out of control. Jesus loves to be close to the brokenhearted. It's kind of his forte. He's not afraid of anything that we go through. He's not afraid of any family situation, any fear. He's not afraid of any anxiety or depression in our heart. He's not afraid of any addiction because none of that stuff is bigger than his glory. None of that stuff is actually big enough to actually take him out. The devil and Jesus are not battling in a cosmic battle in the sky. He's already won. So he's not afraid of what you can go through because he already went through it all. And if he's already been through everything that you've gone through and more, and he made it out victorious and he's seated at the right hand next to the Father, what does that mean for our lives? If he went through more than we went through, if there was nails driven in his hands and in his feet and he rose up from the dead and he's victorious, what does that say about the storms in our life? It means that they don't stand a chance. My main point for this morning that I hope you get out of this message is that Jesus teaches us how to walk through our storm with the authority of heaven. Walk through our storm, not walk around our storm, not walk beneath our storm, not walk over top of our storm, not walk away from our storm, but walk through our storm. The only way out is through. Not with our own authority, not with the voices of other people in our head, but with the authority that God gives us, the authority of heaven, his power, his grace, his goodness, his passion for us. That's how we get through our storm, is by his authority. Walk through your storm with the authority of heaven. If you could do me a favor, turn to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to talk about a storm that the disciples deal with in verse 22 through 33, a little setup. For what's going on in this passage, basically Jesus is living this no hype life where he's hanging out in the dirt with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors because he's not afraid of sin. (laughs) That's good. He's not afraid of sin, he's not afraid of getting down and dirty, and the disciples are seeing him do amazing things. They're seeing him heal the sick, raise the dead, open up blind eyes, touch the leper. They're seeing him teach in the synagogues with authority that no one's ever seen before. And in this chapter, the same chapter that the storm goes on that we'll get to, in the chapter, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, dies. He's actually murdered. And Jesus goes up to a place to pray because he's probably distraught about his cousin dying, but he sees some people and he has compassion on them and goes and heals them. Why? Because Jesus doesn't allow circumstances to determine whether or not he ministers or not. He doesn't allow pain to determine whether or not he loves another person. And he walks and he heals them. And then what happens is there's a huge crowd because everyone wanted to be around Jesus. There's a huge crowd and they need food. And so he multiplies the food and he gives out 5,000, or 5,000, he gives out food to 5,000 just men. So probably about 10,000 people, right? Because he has authority out of two, five loaves, two fish. I know the Bible. Anyway, so it happened. You can read it, chapter 14. (laughs) I am a mess. All right, here we go. So, Okay, so he feeds the 5,000, and then we end up at this scene where Jesus sends out the disciples to go out on the lake, and that's where we pick up Matthew 14, verse 22. Here we go. Immediately after this, after they just fed the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and crossed to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. So this is the scene. They just feed the 5,000, and it says this. It says that Jesus insisted that the disciples go out onto the lake, which means it was his idea for them to be out there in the first place. Remember that. It was his idea for them to be out on the lake in the first place. It says that he sent them away, and then he went up on a hill to pray. The book of Mark actually says this, that he could see the disciples from the hill says that he goes up on the hill, night falls, so that means it was probably around 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., whatever that happens in Israel, right? Okay, and the sun sets, night falls while he's up on the hill. He can see the disciples, and while he's up there, this storm starts to happen where the disciples are. But listen to this in verse 25. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. That means that night fell while Jesus was on the hill and he could see them struggling for hours. Why would the God who is an ever-present help in time of trouble, who is near to the brokenhearted, who does not delay, who is the God who loves to save his children, why would he stay up on the hill and watch his disciples struggle in a storm? Probably because he knows something that they don't. Probably because he knows that authority doesn't have to rush. Probably because he knows that trust isn't impatient. Probably because he knows that faith isn't afraid. And he doesn't need to make a decision out of some sort of fearful, oh my God, my disciples, they're in trouble. No, he has the authority of the Father resting on him, and so he can make a decision Out of right relationship with the Father. He does this a lot. You can see this theme that Jesus does a lot. You remember the story of Lazarus. Martha and Mary come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, the one whom you love is dying. And what does Jesus do? Let's wait here two more days. What are you doing, God? God. What do you mean, wait, the one you love, the one you created, if you love him, go. He does the same thing on the way to heal Jairus' daughter. uh, Jairus' daughter, Jairus is going crazy. And he's like, Jesus, you gotta heal my daughter. And on the way to healing Jairus' daughter, he stops for the woman with the blood disorder. And he allows her to distract him and keep him and interrupt what was super precedent in the moment. What he needed to get to, but why? Because authority's not in a rush because he knows he could get there at any time and he'll still do it because he knows exactly what the father wants to do. And the father wants to bring breakthrough. The father wants to bring deliverance. The father wants to bring healing. So he's not afraid. He's not afraid to stop for the one. He's not afraid to stop for that. Sometimes we get so busy, we don't even see the people around us. We get so in our heads, so caught up in the storm, so caught up in the busyness that we can't even see the person that's right there that needs help. Not Jesus. Pain is a promise. Jesus says this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might, not maybe, not if you're a good person, you won't. He says, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Take courage, for I have overcome the world. Oftentimes, we spend so much time running away from our stores, running away from our problems that we never actually get stronger. Pain is a promise. Jesus promises that we'll go through trial, but it says this in James 1, verse 2 through 4, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, everyone say any kind. kind. That means anything. Come your way. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Everyone say "Great great joy. That's a lot of joy. For you know that when your faith is tested your endurance has a chance to grow so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed you will be perfect and complete needing nothing Verse 4 let it grow let it grow let it grow That was dumb. I didn't do that last time. <laughs> let it happen. Let the storm come. We can't live our lives running away from our problems, running away from the storm inside, running away from the brokenness, running away from the addiction, running away from the lies, running away from the mindsets. We can't spend our lives. Jesus shows us that we can walk through the storm with the authority of heaven. And our endurance grows, our faith grows, and in a refining fire, he makes us pure and complete and holy and beautiful so that one day he can present us blameless and pure before the throne of God, and God can say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and we can rejoice forever with him. Come on. It's the gospel. Stop giving credit to the devil for what God's doing in your life. Sometimes we get so focused on what the devil's doing, we miss what God's doing. And we're trying to beat the devil out of every bush and out of every tree and out of every circumstance. The devil's attacking me. Oh, no, everything's crazy. The devil doesn't stand a chance. When you focus on Jesus, when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, the devil has to flee. Submit yourself to the Lord, therefore, I say, and the devil will flee from you. The first step is not to flee from sexuality, right? It's to to submit yourself to the Lord. And when you look at him, the demons flee. There's some storms that we're actually running away from that God wants to use to bring us into our calling and destiny. There's some trials that we're just too afraid to actually handle that God actually wants to move and operate in our lives and actually fill us with his hope and actually change us from the inside out. Don't run from your storm. Matthew 14, verse 25. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Can we just geek out for a quick second? Walking on the water? When I was a kid, uh, not when I was a kid. When I was a teenager, when I first got, when came to the Lord, I was really spiritual, you know? So I decided, you know what, I'm going to try for a couple days to walk on water. <sighs> no success, okay? I'm not saying it can't happen, though. You got a jacuzzi at home? Do it, all right? You got a kiddie pool? Do it today. It's going to be awesome. Walking on water. I love that Jesus walks on water. He's incredible, but the thing I find more interesting is he didn't stop the storm before he walked out. He could have stopped the storm on the hill. He could have stopped the storm on the shore. He could have stopped the storm while he was walking out so it was a more comfortable walk. But he decides not to stop the storm at all. He walks directly into the storm which shows me something, it shows me this. It shows me that the goal of faith is not to stop the storm. It's to walk on the water in the middle of the storm. I will say it again. The goal of faith is not to make everything right, to make everything good, to make everything fit together, make everything perfect as dream. It's to walk with authority of heaven in the middle of the storm. To be so filled with the spirit of God, it doesn't matter if you have a bad day. I'm predestined to have a good day. He told me I, have, I can have a good day. Why? Because I can always thank him for everything. Man, I'm feeling this. Thank you, Jesus. Man, this is going wrong. Thank you, Jesus. Man, this is falling apart. Thank you, Jesus. There's always a reason to rejoice when he died for you. I haven't been... Um with youth for a super long time, not at Heather's Stee's. She has like 20 years on me or something like that. I've been a year here with youth, but like probably five years before that, um, doing youth camps and stuff like that. And I've realized this. When we fail to walk through our storm, we end up giving it to our children as an inheritance. Because the storm you don't deal with is the storm you become. The storm you're not willing to walk through, somebody else will walk through it. The bitterness you're not willing to face is the bitterness somebody else is going to receive. The depression that you face is the depression and the sadness and the neediness somebody else is going to have to face. So if we don't walk through our storm, guess who gets it? Everybody else. Not walking through your storm and being solid in the authority of heaven is actually selfishness. Because your storm isn't just about you. You're not the eye of your own storm. Everybody feels the quake and the wake and the waves and the wind of your storm. We all know a person who walks in the room and it's like, oh, here's a storm. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't, you're that person. (laughs) 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 Deal with it, Matthew 14. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. (laughs) Who are you going to (laughs) call? In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. They had been with Jesus for over a year. Why couldn't they recognize Jesus? Because fear is a liar. And fear has a real funny way of clouding our eyes that we can't even see salvation right in front of us. Living in fear has a real funny way. The storm has a real funny way. When we're so caught up in our own head, in our own mindsets, in our own pain, in our own shame, in our own guilt, somebody could come with us with the best truth and we wouldn't even see it. I've prayed this prayer to Jesus many times. I've said, Jesus, if you walked into the room, I want to recognize you. Because you know there was a lot of religious people called the Pharisees that were awaiting a promise of a Messiah, and Jesus came as the fulfillment of that promise, and they couldn't see him. Because they were so caught up in their own ideologies, in their own mindsets, in their own whatever's going on, and sometimes we get so caught up in whatever's going on in our heads and in our hearts, I wonder if Jesus walked into this room right now, would we recognize him? Some of us are waiting on a sign, we're waiting for God to come off, come off of the hill and come and save us. God, give me any sign, just show me, just speak to me. But if he actually spoke to you, would you even recognize his voice? If he actually showed up, if Jesus even showed up in your room in physical form, would you recognize him or would you cower in fear because you're so, you know, caught up in the pain and the shame and the guilt and all the stuff going on? They couldn't see Jesus, the one who they had been walking with, the one that they knew could do miracles, that they just saw feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. And they couldn't recognize him. Why? Because fear is a liar. Let me tell you this. Fear is a bad father. And unfortunately, a lot of us have been fathered by fear. We've been taught to think in fear. We've been taught to feel in fear. We've been taught to act in fear. We've been fathered by fear. We need to come under a new father because that is not our father. And God wants us to see him clearly, and we can't do that if we're living our lives in fear. It looks like this, someone can come up to you, a friend, and they can call you out for something that you've actually been doing, maybe some sin, and instead of actually seeing it as somebody that loves you and cares for you and wants you to be free, you see it as someone judging you. Why, because you're so caught up in your own mess that all you see is the storm. And actually someone can come to you with truth and an awakening and good news to your soul. Some of us have come here every single week, week in and week out, but we're so consumed with the storm that even the truth, bing, 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 falls off. It's time to step underneath a new Father. Amen? Fear is not a fruit of the Spirit, I learned. Actually, the first fruit of the Spirit is love, which is the complete opposite of fear. So, how do you live free from fear? You walk in the Spirit. You walk close and intimately with Jesus. You fix your eyes on him. Matthew 14, verses 27 through 30, says this. After they say, it's a ghost, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the other side of the boat and walked on water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Verse 27 again, but Jesus spoke to him at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. If we want to walk through our storm with the authority of heaven, we better get to know his voice there's this amazing story I heard from this pastor. Um, He was talking about, you know, when his wife was pregnant and every single day he'd wake up in the morning and go up to his wife's belly and and he would speak to his son in his wife's belly and he would say, hey son, it's your dad. Hey son, it's your dad. And again the next day, hey son, it's your dad. And again the next day, hey son, it's your dad. And the moment came for delivery, and they had the baby, and obviously the baby's crying, and he gets to hold his baby for the first time, and he looks down at his son, and he says, hey, son, it's your dad. And the baby's eyes go. Baby looks up at his dad and stops crying immediately. Why? Because the voice of your father calms every fear. The voice of our Father calms every fear, and if we would just get close enough to listen to it, if we would just let go of our own selfishness and our own ways and actually say, whatever you want to say to me, I'll do it. Whatever you want to do, I'll do it. Maybe we wouldn't have so much fear in our lives because we're trying to live lives for ourselves and out of our own strength. But when he shows up and says, don't be afraid, it's not just a voice. There's authority and power with his voice. Something that that I've realized when I hear his voice, it doesn't just come with a voice. It comes with strength. It comes with authority. It comes with power. It comes with peace. It comes with a calm. There's something about the voice of God. If we want to walk through our storm with the authority of heaven, we have to learn how to hear his voice. The antidote to your fear is his voice and his presence. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Last one. I am here. The antidote to our fear is his presence and his voice. I love this part. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter, verse 28, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over... The side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. I love this so much. Sometimes we feel pretty distant from Scripture. We feel like uh, there's a common saying that I hear a lot of us Christians say. It's like, it's this. Uh, well, that was Jesus. It's like, why aren't you doing this? Well, well, that was Jesus. He was perfect. He could do it. Do you realize that you're His child? And all the theme throughout Scripture is that everything that Jesus does, we are allowed to do. He heals the sick. So what does he do? Gives the disciples the authority to heal the sick. He raises the dead. So what does he do? Give the disciples the authority to raise the dead. He hangs out with the lepers and the broken and the prostitutes. So what does he say? Do the same. He preaches the gospel of the kingdom. So what does he say? Go and do likewise. Everything that he does... We are able to do. And in this moment, he's walking on the water, and Peter's like, hey, if it's really you, let me come out. And he says, yes, come, because he wants to invite us into everything that he does. Let me tell you something. The only way that this thing could become stale is when we don't live it out. The only way that this thing becomes outdated and stale and boring is when we don't live it out. You see, Jesus came and it says the word became flesh. What does that mean? It means he made the word of God living and we're in his image. Guess what we're called to do? Make the word of God living in the world so that everybody can see the light and love of Jesus in his image, walking as he is in heaven, so are we in the world, 1 John. I have this crazy story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went down to San Diego. I went with my best friend, Rob, he's amazing. I wanna call him right now. Anyway, I went down to San Diego with my best friend, Rob, and we went and we started ministering to people, started praying for people down in San Diego. And uh, we met this guy named Ricky. And Ricky was an amazing man, he was a homeless man. He had a drug addiction. He had kids to support and take care of that he couldn't take care of. He was living with some sketchy people, constantly on his drug dealer's radar. And we sat down and we talked with Ricky for two hours about the gospel, to no avail nothing. Back and forth. He was like, oh yeah, I think God loves me. No, if God really loved me, he would have taken care of my kids. I wouldn't be homeless if, really, if God really loved me. And again and again, this back and forth, but what about this? But what about this? Hey, maybe God does love it. You know what? If God really loved me, he would take care of my addictions. He would come down off of the hill and actually save me in this storm. Until my buddy Rob, and this is why I love him, he said, you know what, Ricky? I will buy $100 worth of groceries for you and your family right now. And in that moment, Ricky's eyes open up. He goes, you will? We said, absolutely. And it was like the entire story of the day changed for him. The entire story of the day. He had like a new exuberance. He was walking out. We were walking on the way to the grocery store and while we're on the way, his drug dealer calls out to him. Hey, Ricky, just got a new supply. You want some? And he turns and he says, nah. And he keeps on walking by. It was so great devil's right there when you actually make a choice to follow God. He starts walking, he turns to us, he said, "I just gave the devil the cold shoulder." I was <laughs> We get to the grocery store. He's so stoked because of the love of God in action, not just in word, in action, that he starts preaching to the cashier. Oh, man, you don't know what God just did for me. You have to know this. God, do you know Jesus? Can I pray for you? He starts ministering to someone. Why? Because the love of God just invaded his life. Not out of talk, but out of deed. Then we get to his house. Give. We got to give the food to his family. They were so grateful. His brother had a stomach issue. We got to pray. His brother got healed right there. Why? Because the word of God became living. Because it didn't stay in the book. It became alive in us. And when the word of God becomes alive in us, things start to change. And it doesn't matter what storm there is. It doesn't matter what storms the other people around you are going through because you got the answer. You have the solution. Guess what? It's him. (laughs) Real simple. Come to me, all you children. Guess what the answer is? It's you. So Peter goes out. But when he saw the strong wind, verse 30, Peter goes out in the water, but when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. So I used to do this thing. It's called slacklining. I don't know if you guys know what it is, but I got some pictures up there for you. It's called slacklining, and basically, it's a tightrope that has slack. It's very, (laughs) oh, It's a tightrope that has slack, and it bounces, and it moves, and it weighs, and uh, I was in Africa for four months, and I was doing school out there, and uh, my friend Christian taught me how to do this. He brought it with him to Africa, and we would set it up on two trees, and we'd walk across it, and it's so difficult. It literally took me two weeks just to get halfway across by myself. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, people do it across Grand Canyon, and people are crazy, right? People have a death wish, but... But when I was first learning it, Christian taught me literally in all of this, you you know, before you get that good, the start to slacklining, he told me is this, you have to look at a fixed point. You have to look at a fixed point on the tree in front of you or the wall in front of you. You have to look at a fixed point because if you look down at the rope, you will get just as wobbly as the rope is. Do you want to know what the problem is with putting your hope in circumstances and situations is you become just as unstable as the situation around you. And that's exactly what Peter did in this moment. Why did he start to sink? Because his eyes got off Jesus and he looked at everything that was going wrong, the wind and the waves and the storm and everything's going crazy and now I don't know and then he starts to sink. Why? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus. If we want to walk with authority through our storm, we have to fix our eyes on him. Fix our eyes on him. Uh, another story, my, my friend Melanie tears, she she told me about this vision she had where it was literally a Psalm 23 vision where she was at a table with all of her enemies. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And in the middle of the table is Jesus. And while she's sitting there with Jesus and all of her enemies, she starts trying to cast out all of her enemies. Get out of here, depression, and get out of here, anxiety, and get out of here, lies. And she starts to speak to him. And she just speaks to her in the vision and says, no, 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 you look at me. And when she started to look at him, her enemies started to disappear. Wow. <laughs> the goal of the Christian faith is not to get rid of the storm. It's to look at him because he's the one that fights for you. He's the one that steps in the battle for you. He's the one that steps down into the storm for you. Excuse me. Matthew 14, verses 31 through 32 says this. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I love that. Jesus immediately reached out. The moment he started sinking, immediately reach out and grabbed him. Some of us don't walk into our storm because we are terrified of failure. Well, what happens if I do take my eyes off of Jesus for a second? Guess what? He will catch you. If we want to be able to walk through our storm with the authority of heaven, we have to know that we have a God that loves us no matter how much we fail. No matter how much we look away, no matter how much we get caught up in addiction, no matter how much we get caught up in shame, no matter how much is going on inside of our heads, we have a God that will always immediately reach down and grab us out. You have to know that we have a God, we serve a God that catches us. And this is what it says, oh, this is my favorite part, okay. Why did you doubt me? Verse 32, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Do you know that there's significance in your storm? There's significance in your storm. Without the storm, the disciples would have never seen the miracle Jesus did right in front of them. Without the storm, Peter wouldn't have walked out on water. Without the storm, there wouldn't have been deliverance. There wouldn't have been an upbuilding of faith. Check this out. It says this. They got back in the boat and they worshiped Jesus. The storm actually brought about worship. Without the storm, there wouldn't have been worship. And here's one even better. You really are the Son of God. So now they just went from it's a ghost to making it through the storm and noticing who Jesus really is. There's significance in every single storm, in every single brokenness, in every single conquering of a lie. There is significance in it. It leads to worship, it leads to deliverance, it leads to strength and faith building up in you. It leads to you knowing who God really is. I tried to parallel this story and it got me thinking about this story in Acts 2. In the Bible, when the disciples, after Jesus ascends and they're waiting upon the Holy Spirit, and it says that a mighty wind broke into the upper room. A mighty wind broke into the upper room and flames were lit on their head and they started speaking in tongues and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it got me thinking, what if the storm that we face is the very thing that brings breakthrough and the activation of all the gifts inside of us? What if the very storm that breaks into our lives without our permission, I didn't let you in here. The very storm, what if that's actually the storm that is gonna bring you breakthrough? That's actually the storm that's gonna bring you deliverance. And when we try and run away from those things, we're actually keeping ourselves from the opposite side of the storm. When we run away from the storm, we're keeping ourselves from the victory that can be won in him. Walk through your storm, not around your storm, not beneath your storm, not over top of your storm, not away from your storm. Walk through your storm with his authority. What a beautiful depiction of the gospel, right? Jesus didn't stay up on the hill. He came down low. God is not a God that just stays up in heaven and wakes to save you up there with the snap of his fingers. He could if he wanted to, but instead he chooses to come down low. He chooses to come down to us. He chooses to walk into our pain, into our sorrow, into our brokenness, into our lives. And he chooses to bring breakthrough in that way. I know that there's probably some of us in here um, who are going through the ringer. Going through a crazy storm right now. And I just want to let you know that God's coming after you. Can we pray together? Through the storm, the disciples realized who Jesus really was. I know there's probably some people in the building who still haven't made that choice to maybe step out of the boat. Who still maybe haven't realized, they still think Jesus is that ghost. (laughs) They haven't seen him for who he really is if that's you this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to step into relationship with him, to realize that he's always been for you, that he has come down off the mountain, that he knows what he's doing in your life, and you can step into salvation and beauty with him. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. One, Jesus loves you so much. He adores you, and he would do anything to show you. He would come down off of that hill a million times over again to show you how much he loves you. Two, He rose from the dead so that you could be free from sin and guilt and addiction and death. And three, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, will you just do me a favor and raise your hand? If you want to receive Jesus, I see you. He's come down for you. He loves you. see you right here on the right. Amen. If that's you, just pray something. Simple like this, just pray, Jesus, I need you and I love you. I need to know you. Forgive me for my sin. Wash me clean and make me new. In Jesus' name, all God's children said, amen. Can we celebrate Jesus this morning?